he maunga āwha. The calm after the storm. Inga mana inga reo inga kārangaranga maha o te motu nau mai haramai ki tēnei hōtaka a te ahikā. Ko Justin Maria ho. Ko Maraia Rakarakua ho. This is Te Ahikā on Radio New Zealand National. The New Zealand International Comedy Festival closed today and one of the acts was Pare Kōtuku Moa, whose night job may seem in conflict with daytime mahi, helping whānau move through violence. I'm a fine product of a whānau order, bringing, upbringing, lifestyle. I wasn't hurt as a child. I was loved and embraced. And so in my times of working in refuge in the early days, I often wondered, you know, what have I got to offer? What do I know? And what I came to know is that exactly that is what I have to offer as an example of someone who's been brought up and loved and cared for and supported and encouraged to be funny and do what it is that I want to do. Who that, Sheila? Parikotukumo joins us soon. And you've heard this, right? How about this? Unlikely, that's because the TV programme Atamira, that's a theme tune you've heard, has been subsumed by another TV programme, the GC. And what's the connection? It's all come out of the same production house, Black Ink Media, led by this man. I think in a healthy broadcast environment there is... um room for um, deep, uh, meaningful narratives of our society like Atamira, and at the other end there is room for something that probably doesn't have the same depth. Bailey Mackey gives us the lowdown on programmes, Black Ink Media, and the reasoning or not behind all that backlash. All before we hear from a key mover in the art world who died recently, Arnold Manaki Wilson. Identity has always been something that uh, I've talked about and I've used quite a few of my pieces of sculpture to, to maintain that. I've seen so many of, so much of that type of thing happening within schools, our schools, where because a Pacific Islander's name was so long and difficult to, to spell out, they were given a nickname mm. and that became his identity and not giving it a true feeling of being yeah. identified through his name. Maybe his name talked about the mighty chief that struck down whatever, whatever, whatever. But in, in this case, he became just Joe. Yeah. Or, hey boy. Or, you know. So identity was my thing at that particular time. Nā reira e Me atahuri mai ki nga kaupapa kōrero mō That's us for the next hour. You're listening to the sound of Tiahika with Justine Murray and Mariah Rakuraku. It's your boy Taina. If you've been anywhere near a TV set on Wednesday nights, it's likely you've heard that. And if you've been anywhere on a Sunday watching Māori television at 8.30, it's highly likely you've encountered this. I bet you, though, out of both of those programmes, you've only really heard about one of them. That has pretty much dominated media critics, social media, since it played three weeks ago. The The GC. There's no denying the interest, shall we say, and while that's all settling down a bit now, it certainly wasn't the case a week ago when Mariah interviewed Bailey Mackey, the producer behind both series, The GC and Atamira. 
Kwao tenei he mukapuna mai te uranga o te rā, ko te wahi e ki ai, ko te tairawhiti, ko Ngāti Parau, rongo whakata me tūhoi oku iwi, no reira, ai, kwao tera. So how long has Black Ink Media been around for? Uh, Black Ink's been around for about four years now, four and a half years, ever since I left Māori Television. Um, I was the uh, head of sport there at Māori Television and and um, I, you know, had uh, brought about shows such as Code, um, Rugby League on the channel, David Tua, did the first Breakers deal. So, um, yeah, so I was um, the head of sport there at Māori TV, but prior to that I was a... Um, a storyline out at Shortland Street, um, Māori advisor, and also a uh, reporter on 3 News and Te Karere. Now, where did the idea come from for Atamira? Um, well, Atamira, actually, a colleague of mine showed me an article about how popular uh, the broadcasting of plays had become uh, live broadcasting of plays to theatres in the UK. So basically uh, a play would be performed in um, West End, uh, filmed and basically piped out to a whole lot of theatres and people could actually go to those movie theatres and watch the play in real time. And sort of what that uh, sort of pl- planted the seed really for me and that I thought that, you know, particularly modern Māori theatre in the last sort of 20 years through... Um, an organisation like Takidua, I felt um, those works needed uh, probably uh, the light shone on them in a different way um, and perhaps introduce them to an audience that might not necessarily go and watch them um, in a normal theatre environment. And yeah. So Bailey Mackey, the format you've described there is very similar to the recording and staging of the reality program that you've also produced, the GC. Well, I think for me, like, you know, in a sort of healthy broadcast landscape, diverse landscape, it should reflect its people. And for me, at one end is obviously something like Atameda, which is the showcasing of Māori theatre. And at the other end is something like the GC, and I think, you know, Māori in 2012, we're a diverse bunch. We, um, like I said, there are theatre lovers and there are fun lovers. I'm not saying that either is mutually exclusive, but what uh, what I think that those sort of two different series um, talk about in their own way is what it means to be Māori um, and, 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 and face different realities, diverse realities. But I guess what I'm getting at is that it's still a very similar format. You've put a camera, you've got a camera, and you're recording the action as it's unfolding in front of you. Uh, yeah, but I, I suppose though, at the heart of one is fiction, <laughs> which is the the, the theatre one, and at the other heart, uh, and the heart of um, the GC is actually real people living their real lives. So, man, uh, yeah, maybe oh, I probably wouldn't draw the same distinction, to be honest. So where did the idea come from for the GC? Um, I've got an 11-year-old son who lives on the Gold Coast uh, with his mother and her partner. I had been over for holiday three or four times in the last few years and sort of noticed this really confident demographic or this confident grouping of Māori who 
were, for some of them, weren't necessarily overtly Māori at home here, but because they'd sort of got this newfound confidence in Australia, um, were really keen to showcase uh, their Māori tanga, um, and yeah, had and in some cases had become a lot closer to their Māori tanga than they had been here in Aotearoa, and I found that um, a really fascinating group of people. Um, so that's where the idea sort of first came about. So it follows the lives of these talented, pretty attractive Māori over in the Gold Coast. How did you find them? Um, we found the cast uh, mainly through social media, the internet. Um, you know, we were really keen to um, get a different sort of range of participants. Um, you know, so some people had only been in Australia for three or four years, where others went over when they were really young, sort of six months old type of thing, and probably grew up quite Australian, to be frank. And But for me, that didn't make them less Māori, but what I think the series will un, uh, reveal over due course will be the fact that um, just how they relate to, uh, you know, their Māori heritage, um, and some of them have never actually had to be around it and things like that, so it's really, it is really interesting. Which if we look at it, it's very similar to what's happening with the plays that have been presented with Atsumira as well, mm. there are a range of Māori actors yeah. uh, and experience reflected in some of the narrative. Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, with Atsumira, um, within the sort of six plays, uh, there are, are again... Uh, there's there's a real sense of diversity between them, and I think that um, you know you get uh, Briar Grace Smith, she has two pieces of work in there, and uh, Albie Bells, and their work uh, again is different. So I suppose yeah, you're right that uh, in, in in their own way they reflect uh, different times. I think the the interesting thing about um, um, Atameda though is the fact that. Um, you know, some of the pieces that are probably nearly 20 years old now, and it's interesting um, just talking to uh, the playwrights uh, about whether or not, um, you know, those stories are still relevant. I think they are, um, and, you know, I, you know, I hope they resonate with the audience in that manner. So, Bailey Mackey, what's been some of the response to Atamira? Uh Well, clearly it hasn't received the same amount of attention <laughs> as the GC. Um, something that uh, I would have hoped it would have, but uh, it, it's just at that end of the sort of story spectrum that doesn't uh, have the same sort of sensationalist uh, effect uh, that the GCs had. But um, I think, you know, uh, most people have been really, really positive about it, and, you know, critics have really uh, recognised the sort of innovative uh, type of storytelling that we're attempting here. So I think that, um, you know, the overall uh, response has been good. For someone like me who's, you know, just watching it, it's it's really great to see new Māori faces. Yeah, I think there's some, a real sort of uh, wealth of Māori talent, you know, young guys like Matariki Fataro and Tola Newbury, uh, you know, Sian White, um, a young actress, they're fantastic players. And, um, 
you know, their performances are amazing, and I think they really sort of enhance um, the series, as do some people whose faces are very familiar, like uh, Davidi Paratene, Rob Mokaraka, and Keisha Castle-Hughes. So I think we're really, really fortunate that, um, you know, that there were... Um, that the performances in this are, um, are fantastic. Okay, so let's look at some of the criticism that the GC has been getting. Yep. It's a wasted use of taxpayer dollar. Yeah, well, I think, you know, the um, the argument around uh, the tax uh, funding of the GC, I think, comes back to whether or not we deem this to be a relevant story. Uh, forget how it's presented and the format of reality television, I think, is, is this a relevant story? For me, I, I would suggest yes. I haven't met a Māori person yet um, who doesn't have a relation, a friend uh, who is Māori that lives in Australia. Mm. Um, and so for me, that makes it really relevant. And, you know, how this group chooses to uh, define its place in, in, in the world 2012, let alone what that means to be Māori, I think is very um, relevant. So that would probably be my first um, sort of response to the criticism around uh, the taxpayer funding of the series. It's shallow. Uh, Well, again, uh, I think in a healthy broadcast environment, there is um, room for um, deep, uh, meaningful narratives of our society like Atamira, and at the other end uh, there is... Uh, I think there is room for um, something that probably doesn't have the same depth. They're not real Māori. Define for me what a real Māori is, because I grew up uh, with my grandparents in a 100% te reo-speaking whānau, um, and um, uh, yet my grandmother would, uh, you know, uh, encourage us to speak English. And you know, I, our, my um, tamariki ten kōhanga and kura kaupapa, but does that make it me any more real Māori than, um, you know, Nate on the show, Nathan, who um, has pretty much been brought up in Australia? For me, I'd say no, um, because you're a product of env- your environment, yes, um, and I also think that, you know, at the end of the day, um, uh, the question of cultures is really important. So, uh, look, I, I, I don't, I don't buy the argument that they're not real Maori. At the end of the day, they have whakapapa Maori, and for one of them, um, she's she's a whangai. And and for me, um, we are allowed to um, have that conversation in a really relevant uh, manner with a with a younger demographic. Maori don't even live like that. Uh, yeah, well, I think that I've got an overwhelming response that suggests they do. Um, so, uh, you know, I think what what the issue here could be is that we're not used to seeing Māori in primetime mainstream living like that. Too often, uh, you know, we sit at the top of some really bad statistics and the light is it's easy to shine the light on those statistics. Yet, when we present Māori in a different way that even some Māori find it hard to um, come to terms with, uh, sometimes that sort of uh, big sort of paradigm shift or that sort of uh, perspective shift is is hard to take. It's scripted. Uh, No, it's unscripted, 150% unscripted. 
Now, have you been surprised at the overwhelmingly negative backlash? Uh, well, I've been surprised at the overall attention that the series has received. Um, you know, I've had sort of, uh, I haven't read a lot of the negative stuff. Actually, I haven't even read a lot of the positive stuff. But, you know, it's something that's really split people down the middle. Dinner parties, trains, you know, going home on the train or, um, you know, in a cafe or something like that. Everybody's got an opinion on it. Um, and for me, you know, there's a, there's an upside to that. There's the ability... Um, to use uh, that as a platform to, um, you know, further push the debate about how Māori should be portrayed. I I'm okay with people who say to me it's not their cup of tea and 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 that. But I I'd also sort of uh, like to, um, you know, be offered the response or, or participate in the debate about uh, the presentation of of um, of my of my culture. You know. Um, and you know I'm fiercely protective of that, and and I've been in this business long enough now. Started out in iwi radio um, and radio Ngati Pereira and Ruatoria 13, 14 years ago, and for me, um, you know, this is sort of my evolution as a storyteller. Um, does that mean that you know my progression is um, more reality? Probably not. I'm really interested in doing something in the realms of a sort of political debate show. So, um, again, I just think it's about being diverse and also being relevant. And Bailey, just finally, what do you think is motivating the responses? Um, well, I think in, in, in many instances, often negative comment actually probably says more about the people who are making the comments than it does about what I'm doing or what the show is doing. So perhaps, and you know, I had a psychologist, a very well-known psychologist, actually come up to me the other day in a cafe and say that he thought it was really good and not to worry about the criticism because he felt that it probably says more about their lives than it does about mine. So, um... I can't really answer that. You'd, you'd probably need to ask them. But what I would say is that, you know, um, uh, the sh clearly the show is going to be divisive and, and, and it's not everybody's cup of tea. Um, but at the end of the day, I think, um, you know, I I'm really proud of the work, as I am of Atamira. Um, you know, so uh, I'm really proud and, and sort of stand by um, both works. What other Māori producer has had two works screening on two channels at the same time in Aotearoa? Because Fano must be proud, eh? Yeah, I think the most important thing for me is that, um, you know, my Fano uh, and my friends are really supportive and really proud of me. Not all of them like what I do. Uh, not all of them like Atamira. Not all of them like um, GC, but they support uh, my right uh, as a Māori program maker, but you know, as a descendant of Ngāti Parau, of Rongo Whakata and of Tūhoi, to be able to participate uh, in an industry that I have a real love for, and you know, in a in a culture that obviously defines who I am. Now, for me, then you know, I think that uh, that gives me a really firm foundation. I live in Auckland. So I'm, I live away from, um, you know, sort of my tribal um, homeland, if you like. But the most important thing is uh, I, I participate in uh, my iwi affairs um, on a regular basis as well as 
been part of a kōhanga and kūrakaupapa community that's um, not only Māori speaking but Māori thinking. So uh, for me, that just provides a really firm foundation. Um, they're always blunt in their criticism, but they're always honest too in their appraisal. So I really appreciate that and, and, and just would encourage everybody to see Atameda and the GC for what they really are. Kia ora, Bailey. Bailey Mackey, nor Nazi Pro Tuhoi. And details about the GC and Atameda can be found at our website, radionz.co.nz forward slash Te Ahika. I'm Mariah Rakaraku. And I'm Justin Murray, and this is Te Ahika. By day, Pareko Tukumua is involved in serious kaupapa. She is Kaihotu, Director for the National Network in Stopping Violence within Māori Development. Hefty stuff. And then there's By Night Parikotukumua that has her on stage strutting her stuff as a self-described sassy Māori woman. I mean, is there any other kind? And like any sassy Māori woman, she took charge immediately when she met Justine Murray. Yes, I know. It actually, you kind of learn techniques and how to use the microphone. So I've decided I want to be a headpiece on the night of night before because I like to one of those. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so that cool. I like to get my hands free and that and get my posture in that. So no, I eat mics. <laughs> <laughs> There you go, have that. Give me the mic. When I was bite. an Amway distributor, I really wanted that mic. <laughs> I don't know if you've been to Amway, Amway Hoys where you haven't. Like, no, well, I've had them. Um, no, was that, what was that back in the day? But Amway, we used to have Amway cleaning well, Amway, products. At, 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 at Amway conventions, the big leaders would get up and they would, when they would um, encourage families who've done well or individuals who've done well in that, you know, a marked. A marked achievement Check. in your progress in the networking is when you get to hold the mic and tell your story. But um, but, but more often it's actually the, the leader of the day who holds the <laughs> microphone for you. And so you have to talk in it. Oh, so, so they hold it so for you. So you've made it when you've got the microphone. <laughs> you've made it, Paddy you've, you've, you've made it. You've got a little pyramid underneath you already, so you've got the microphone. <laughs> Ehoama, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the New Zealand International Comedy Festival 2012 with tonight's show, Who Dat Sheila? Brought to you by Wellington's own sassy Maori woman comedian. Please give a big welcome to the stage, Pare Kotukumoa! Justin Murray, Radio New Zealand National Tiahika, uh, here at uh, in St. James Theatre, Wellington. Bit of an iconic building, really, and I'm here with Māori comedian Pare Kōtuku Mō. Kia ora, Pare Kōtuku. Kia ora, kia ora, Justine Koutouma. Ai, ko Pare Kōtuku Mō, taku ingoa. He, he haututu uri o Tainui, nai, nai, uh, uh, Raukawa, Ngāti Ahuru, Ngai Te Rangi, uh, Oku Iwi, i Tupuake Ahau, i te rohe o Porirua, uh, o tira, uh, ko au, ko Tainui te waka, taupuri te maunga, waikato te awa, manga kāratu te marae, uh, Ngāti Ahuru te hapu, Kia ora, Pare Kōtsuku. With a name like Pare Kōtsuku, oh, you can pretty much, uh, that's, the, that's the signal that you are himari kwe, ne? Aye, and a sexy white heron at that. <laughs> Tell us about Pare Kōtsuku and where that name, we did tell the story that you told me um, earlier. I was given my name 
uh, at the passing of my late grandfather, and as my grandparents had separated at a very young age, oh, at, at a, when my, my late mother was very young. And uh, so at the time of my, my grandfather's passing, my parents, and in their wisdom, um, asked our elders if they would be kind enough to um, to give their children, myself and my brother, Māori names, because we didn't have Māori names, unlike our, our other whānau members, I guess. So I'm very proud of, at the wisdom and foresight of my parents asking that of my elders. And I was 16 years of age at the time. I didn't know that I was partic- participating in a naming ceremony because I was out the back Oh, of so the you were house. 16 when you were giving your Ingoa Māori? Yes, I. And Should I we was, talk about your Pākehā name? Oh, my Pākehā name, Raywin. But let me finish the story about my <laughs> Māori name. I was around the, the back of the house working my way through a packet of Rothmans with my cousins and got called into the living room. This is two days after my pa- fa- grandfather passed on. And big corridor, karakia, um resided above myself and my brother who were made to sit in the middle of the living room floor. And I dare not look at my mother because I didn't want her to see or sense that I had been out smoking cigarettes. Never mind that I probably was smelling very, very much of cigarette smoke yeah. at the time. And um, when my queer uh, uh, then began to speak in English and said to me, your name is Parekotuku, I said, oh no, it's not, it's Raywin. <laughs> Rather matter of fact, like I had to correct my aunt. <laughs> and at that point I did look across the room at my mother who threw her eyes to the ceiling and gave me this like, you are going to get it, look. She gave me the, you're going to get it. Look, kind of look later. Yeah, and, I got uh, the look. Yeah, I mean. got the look. And so there was there was the beginning of my new life of a young woman having the name Raywin Parekotukumo. As an adult, I, um, for the last 20 years really, I've, I've been largely known as Parekotuku, and I answer to all with my family. I have some family who call me Raywin, some family who call me Parekotuku. I answer to both and a few other names as well too that I often get referred to by my family. <laughs> Like princess, not. <laughs> Were you the class clown uh, growing up in your hapu? Or? Have you always... Because, um, you know, I believe that um, every Māori whānau has got an uncle or an auntie or even a parent that are, you know, that, that are naturally funny or f- close friends as a, as a Māori unit, as a Māori whānau. So were you that person? Yeah. I, I can say I wasn't the class clown. But I certainly was always a popular girl, and that popularity really stems from having a sense of humour now. As an adult, I can articulate that that's why I was the way that I was as a growing um, girl. And yes, I come from a family that is funny. I have have, uh, my wider whanau, I have cousins who are... um, and uncles and aunts who are absolutely hilarious, who see the humour in many moments and even in the most inappropriate times. So, so it is natural that because it does come from within my, in my whakapapa, absolutely. And, and there are times when, our, when we are together with Farno that I get a face ache within a very few seconds of yeah, being with him. Yeah, you just yeah, yeah. got this constant smile and a grin. And what I love about Māori humour is, um, is our wit and our ability to... Um, wind each other up to um, to make fun of something and to keep adding to it another angle, another spin on the same topic or incident that was really, really funny. I also think that we have a real, we have a lot of ease at being able to laugh at ourselves um, mm. I certainly see that in my whanau, so I would say as a, as a whanau and as a Māori thing, way of being mm. we are able to um, be humorous 
and laugh easily at ourselves. And that's what sort of, um, if you think about what makes people laugh and what makes good comedy is if you're able to uh, humour your own um, inadequacies or your own... Make fun of yourself. Make fun of, fun of yourself. And also, and I like to do that, I also like to... Um, give big ups and play up to the good qualities of me. So hence it's why I identify myself as a sassy Māori comedian. Sassy. Sassy. Although, so you know, not all the time am I sassy, eh? so it's okay sometimes <laughs> to, be a bit, to be a bit ditzy and doolally. That was our nan, yep. And, you know, she was a gun at Halsey, she was. She really, really was. And we knew whenever she'd have a win, because she'd come home on a taxi <laughs> with the big-ass, meanest bag of fish and chips. And a big bottle of Fanta. So us kids, we think, yeah, Nan had a win. No wonder I've got type 2 diabetes now. <laughs> and we always knew when she didn't have a win because she'd come home on the bus. So what if you're in a bad mood and you're kind of pre-menstrual and you're on stage? Very good question about bad mood. And you've got to make people laugh, man, and you're just not in the mood. Well, my answer to that is the reality is, is that comedians aren't funny 24-7. It's hard work being funny 24-7. And we do have our days where uh, we just want to put a hat on and not be recognised by anybody and be doomed and gloom. But <clears throat> though, I have to say those moments are, are rare for, for me. Um, what's more common is that I'm, re I'm intrigued about how people start conversations and why in which we start conversations. Um, and my point is, is that often people will talk about the weather and how bad the weather is. And I stand there and I think, why don't you talk about something funny? Why don't you say something sort of humorous yeah, about I it? I do that every day. Oh, man. Open, you wake up, open the curtains. Go on, Wellington. That's been my, because I've only been down here for four years, that's been my daily thing every, it's been my daily thing is the weather. So I get over it already, eh? Maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I've... Um, <laughs> I'll often have another conversation in my head constantly. I think that's probably a, a comes with a with the makeup of a comedian. Is, is yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll lay claim to that. So I'll often stand and think, gosh, think about something more positive to talk about. You know, how do you get or um, do you write daily? Do you observe um, every peop everybody around you? How do you get your material for your set? Yeah, well, I, don't, I don't want to give too much away about the show, <laughs> and um, and as I, it's, it's titled "Who Dat Sheila," it's an it's a it's, it'll be a guaranteed night of laughter, and belly laughter about um, this Sheila and a whole range of other Sheila. Mm. Uh, and how do I get my material? Most materials around daily observational um, um, gatherings, uh, and I do a lot of stuff around. Um, <clears throat> the show will also include. Material around relationships. Uh, relationships is a, is a very interesting um, relationships between men and women. Cross is it Māori humour though, or is it just general humour? And by that I mean, do you specifically draw on the whole, you know, Māori humour, the hoo hoo laugh? I mean, is that part of yeah, the routine? Yeah. yeah, Justin, it goes without saying, I'm Māori. <laughs> My name is Parikotuku. Yep. What you get is a Māori <laughs> doing what and who that Sheila. <laughs> And a spin on, a spin on, 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 on what's the, what's the Sheila here? And so this goes without saying, um, I couldn't get up there and tell a whole story about being a pink elephant. When I ain't a pink elephant, I'm Māori. <laughs> Do you think Māori humour is universal? If you get crowds with, say, if you get 100 people in a room and there's three Māori, do you think you'll have everybody laughing if you do a show? Absolutely. I'll be stupid. To, I'll, be, you know, I'll be committing suicide to say otherwise. Yes, I say that. Um, <laughs> laughter is, if it's pitched well and delivered well, it will um, cater to all audiences. Yeah.
Anyway, I'm at this party and uh, <coughs> yeah, I can hear him. Um, I can hear him calling out to his wife, and he doesn't doesn't get a response, and then calling out her name, and then he raises his voice and he goes, "Hey, mother of six, time to go home." And she calls back, "Hey, father of four, not ready. <laughs> I ain't ready." <laughs> There's a very um well, literally, there's a funny side to your life and there's a very serious side to your life. You worked in the Women's Refuge for 15 years. I, I at, the, at the time of when I first discovered my creative ex, um, ability to express, but I um, got involved in Women's Refuge work um, at the young age of 19 and was a founding member of the Māori Women's Refuge here in Wellington, Te Whareruki At 19? <clears throat> yeah, and I have to say that um, I was a naive 19-year-old. I'm a pro I'm a fine product of a whānau order bringing, upbringing lifestyle. I wasn't hurt as a child. I was loved and embraced. And so in my times of working in refuge in the early days, I often wondered, you know, what have I got to offer? What do I know? And what I came to know is that exactly that is what I have to offer as an example of someone who's been brought up and loved and cared for and supported and encouraged to be funny and do what it is that I want to do. Um, and so... What um, made you go to such a place that could bring so much hurt or mummy to a 19-year-old? I mean, you grew up in a loving home. Oh, what, what made you choose the oh, woman's that, refuge? That's easy, Justine. It, it was really about a, a, a situation of being in a certain place at a certain time. I was a driver of the car of three friends, and we were going to Housey this particular night, as was a, an, a weekly event of ours. We'd get together, and we'd start our weekend on a Thursday, i.e. with Housey. Well, one of the women, my mates that particular time, says, look, before we go here, I just want to call around to this address. I've just got to meet up with these couple of these women. It won't take long. Well, it turned out to be a meeting to set up a woman's refuge safe house. We didn't get to Housie that night. So it was all part of her agenda was to, to hook us into it. So it was quite She wasn't quite... even taking you to Housie. No, we didn't go to Housie that night. <laughs> and so it started from there. It started from there. And I found myself in a room full of very, very interesting women, dynamic women, who had a, a passion and a cause. And it made me stop and think, well, okay, what's my life about? My life's about being a rampant 19-year-old living for the weekends. <laughs> and uh, these women were offering some opportunities of learnings and great excitement. So I have to say that, um, you know, I was very naive in those days, but good intent, goodwill. And that's a long response to your question about it, um, having a serious side to my life. And, and how it affects the comedy. Because you, I have such an extensive background in working with people and with troubled lives and difficult choices that they make about relationships and that... I put that down to the reason for why I've been single for the last 10 years. <laughs> and that is that you can easily identify people who have issues and problems. Right. And um, you think, oh, no, I'll stay away from that one because he's got abandonment issues. Oh, no. <laughs> or uh, this one's got unresolved issues about the last relationship, so we won't go there. Oh. Um, and so how that seriousness can translate into hume, into comedy is I, I do um, take a... Take a uh, well, caution <clears throat> approach. There's a lot of humour in how we relate to one another, and so I've got a lot of ground, a lot of material to develop from my work and translate that into comedy. And so, 15 years with the refuge, um, you um, burnt out eventually. So, and then you you left. And is that when you went on your? Yes, I went on my overseas OE experience, and um, and that was a one-way ticket to London. And the intent was to, and the purpose for my trip really was to discover the creative side within me. I now know that's why I went on that trip. <laughs> At the time it was really like I've had a break from this work now. What else is ahead of me? What can I what can I do? Here's a travelling opportunity. 
you know, wow. took it. Yeah. And so today, um, Parekotsuku, you work with Stopping Violence? Yeah, I work for an organisation called Te Kupinga, Whakauti Mahi Patunga, National Network Stopping Violence Services. And I work with a small team that's to support 42 agencies around the country who are running and working in the area of stopping violence. Their whole mahi is about reducing violence and preventing it. Um, 14 of those member agencies are Kopapa Māori, so my particular job is about supporting Kopapa Māori organisations and networks that are working to um, reduce violence and working on whānau order Kopapa. Does does comedy give you relief to some of the um, serious work that you do in stopping violence? Yeah. Do I they counter each other? If you know what I mean. My um, my ability to be really really funny comes naturally and is with me all the time. So uh, so in my mahi, um, it wouldn't it wouldn't um, in my mahi I incorporate my humour and in 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 that work as well too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, being a comedian and being funny and seeing the world in a funny light often means that it's intrinsic in my work. If it makes right. sense, yeah, right. it right. just comes naturally. Kia ora, Parikotuku more with Justine Murray. To find out more about today's show, to see pictures or listen to previous Tiahika episodes, it's all up on our webpage, radioNZ.co.nz forward slash Tiahika. Te Aika, Radio New Zealand National. When news hit the Kumara Vine that Arnold Manaki Wilson had died in Auckland earlier this month, there were many accolades, including this one from Jonathan Mane Fioki. Arnold Manaki Wilson was a major presence on the contemporary Māori art scene for half a century. He was among the Māori art educators working in Northland who joined forces in 1958 to present in Auckland the first exhibition of contemporary art by Māori artists. The movement, pioneered by those artists Ralph Hortere, Katarina Mataira, Muru Walters, Selwyn Wilson and Arnold Wilson, has long since burgeoned into a thriving and distinctive enterprise drawing in hundreds of gifted Māori artists involving curators, writers, dealers and public and private collectors and delighting untold numbers of viewers at home and abroad. As ambassador, advocate, agent, provocateur, educator and exemplar, Arnold Wilson played a pivotal role in the positioning of such art in national and international forums. It all started somewhere though, right? You don't build up a 50-year career by sitting on your laurels. That's for sure. And you don't get called he tohunga toi Māori, an expert in Māori art, lightly either. It takes years and years of practice in giving back to your community by mentoring, working, advising, assisting. All of it. And it can involve explaining your process to broadcasters, which is what Arnold Manaki Wilson did in 1994 with Henare Te Uwa. A 10-day wānanga, or Symposium of Contemporary Indigenous Visual Arts, got underway yesterday at Apu Moana Marae in Rotorua. Between 30 and 40 Indigenous artists from the Pacific region and from the mainland USA are attending, together with many Māori artisans. 
Art forms which will be explored include sculpture, ceramics, bark, cloth, paintings, wood and stone carving, canvas, clay, tupper and metal. The symposium is coordinated by the Arts Council of New Zealand, Te Wakatoi. Arnold Manaki Wilson is a noted and respected contemporary Māori artist whose wooden sculptures are known internationally. He's taken part in similar symposiums in Zimbabwe and venues in the USA. For many years, he initiated and orchestrated cross-cultural mixed-media Māori art forms in secondary schools throughout this country, and many of the finished works can be found in schools in Marae. Arnold Wilson joins me this morning in Te Punawai Kōrero. Arnold, kia ora. Kia ora. Arnold, tell me something about the background of the contemporary Indigenous visual arts movement. I believe that you yourself, for instance, have been to somewhat like symposiums held elsewhere in the world, Zimbabwe, for instance. Yes, uh, well, this came about, I think to go right back again, uh, this came about uh, through holding, um, when Timori went overseas, that started a sort of a trend although it came underneath the auspices of Māori Affairs at that particular time, um, I went over to that, not underneath the Māori Affairs Department, um, Pānui, but through uh, then QE2, uh, Arts Council, because I was on the council at that particular time. And, uh, of course, I went over to that and brought back this this very, very favourable report uh, to then MASPAC at that time of the wonderful things that were going over there. And uh, from then on, MASPAC then took up the cudgel of maybe taking some of our people over and then having an exchange uh, with different peoples backwards and forwards. Now, Central um, Arts um, Council, under the auspices of um, Darcy, uh, then started the, the trend of going over to Zimbabwe uh, to, to take some of our people over there. And the first lot he took over there was was uh, people like um, Cliff, Cliff and, one, and one or two of the others, mm. like... We're talking about Darcy Nicholas, aren't we? Yeah. Yes. yes. All right, so you see then that that uh, the tremendous impact of the Tamari exhibition of artefacts of, of the mid, mid-1980s as being that, that triggering point then. Yes, that for this triggering exchanging, point for this uh, yeah. exchanging uh, aspect of things. But also remember the fact that we, as, as oncoming artists, were wanting to, sh- to show to the world also that it didn't just stay there. It progressed, and that's what we were wanting to do, was to send over some of our works over there to be a, to be looked at by people from overseas. And uh, and um, that's when we invited those people from Zimbabwe back here to New Zealand here, took them down to the South Island, and that's where we did a symposium of sculpture there, thing, mm. where we, they, they were using New Zealand stone which is totally different to their their sort of uh, uh, soapstone. And um, we we gave them uh, a feeling of um, tato tato togetherness in, yeah. togetherness in, in in that particular aspect down there, mm-hmm. living together, uh, 
having kai together, all of those things, to to bring a, again、um, a communal type of coming together and talking together and and seeing、uh, visual、um, slides of their works. So there was a lot of sharing going on then. Oh, lot!、Um, Tremendous amount of sharing.、Yeah. What, what about actually appraising each other's works? I mean, was it ab- were you able to 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 see where those Zimbabwean artists were coming from as well, and, and where they were going to?、Mm. Had they progressed as much as the Maori contemporary artists, for instance?、Well, I mean, was this, this all part of the analysis? Well, it, it was all part of that particular type of analysis at that time. When you consider that、uh, he was a mountain in the middle of nowhere, and、uh, he had a whole village of artisans around them, and and and、uh, committed to making sculpture, yes, and、uh, and the tools that they were using were primitive tools,、uh, files used by other people, you know, and, and discarded and what have you, and here they were making use of them, and、uh, out in out in what they call there. The so-called、uh, forest,、uh, where they've been cutting down trees to light their fires and what have you, they've left the stumps, and on each of those stumps they've placed pieces of artwork. So you threaded your your way through all this artwork around the periphery of this mountain. That's one area, and everybody was doing it, even the young people. You know, I've got a piece at home、uh, done by a six-year-old. You know, I've got photographs to prove that they do. You know that type of work. So there's that exchange, and it's it's um it's a cultural exchange too, exchange of ideas and, and talking talking about it because they m- most of them knew the English language, but trying to get、uh, ideas across was a bit difficult. But then. We got over there. What sort of themes were being portrayed in the sculpture work? Well, most of these were were to do with the the relationship between animals and and humans. The exchange, you know, sort of mythological, mytho- mythological animals and things of that nature.、Uh, very very strong.、Uh, but then、uh, the use of some of the animals' forms, the strength in them, you know. That well, beautiful too.、Mm. Uh, we 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 also exchange some of our animal forms and shapes, and, and、um, what I was trying to do with my pieces, of course, was showing them that the landscape was also part and parcel of sculpture. You know, just by placing rocks one on top of the other, you know, that is sculpture in the raw. Could they recognise that? Oh yes. Yes. Oh yes.、Uh, quite a few of them recognised the fact that here were these huge, huge boulders, just teetering, where it's been wind, you know,、um, sort of eroded away. Eroded away, away and, and here these things mounted on one another, and they're huge.、Mm. So this is part of the sculptural world, I think. So this is where the the exchange of ideas, but then. It got onto the more subtle things, you know. We were saying, well, you know, to us,、uh, we're looking for symbols that would portray certain things, 
And uh, they agreed that certain things that they were doing also was being uh, looked at from that point of view. So since then, there have been other exchanges, haven't there, with, with, with other parts of the world? Oh, yes. There. Oh, yes. The States? Uh, the States. Um, Papua New Guinea, when we had the, um, the festival over there, Pacific Festival, um, it was um, uh, Cliff Whiting and I that went over there. They had a look at what was going on in there and having a look at their artwork and what we were doing with our artwork and showing them what uh, our, our guys are capable of doing and uh, showing them the tools that we were using, much more sophisticated than some of their tools, mind you, but still. You know, it's 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 there. It's a it's a different type of approach to, say, carving, and we use specialised tools. You know, to get a, a certain result, whereas most of their their pieces were done with just a knife or different types of knives mm-hmm. that they were using, similar to the Indians. The New Chinese people were were doing the same type of thing. You know, with their totem poles, they will hack out you know a certain aspect of it there, but. The, they returned again to the knife, principle of the knife, uh, what I call chip carving method of portraying some of their, their works of art. Now in the States, going back to the States again, uh, starting from uh, the Sale City, uh, where they did the American Cup, San Diego, uh, we sent an exhibition over there underneath the auspices of Okatoi, uh, then, there's a new name now, uh, and um, we sent it over there. Um, how many pieces of art? Or well, several pieces of art by different people, you know. Um, the oldies like uh, Fred Graham, myself, uh, Cliff, uh, Bucknan, uh, Darcy, Darcy Nicholas. Nicholas. And and uh, oh, several other people in in that category, the, what what we call the oldies, <laughs> right? And they were sent over there, and um, the amount of, of of people that went through there was just absolutely fantastic. And uh, what was happening over there, Selwyn Muru, where uh, you know he was one of the the ones that sent works in there, uh, and, uh, throughout the whole. Mm. Thing. It went up from uh, San Diego to Phoenix to um, Chicago and then to Seattle. And then we went over, when we went over to Seattle to open that show, we went over to Vancouver to have a look around in there, in that area there, really looking at the Indian work that was being done there. And uh, that's the American, in, or the Canadian Indian, as well as the they're both the same, yes, right, yeah. as you probably know. And looking at, at how they were doing the totem poles and what have you, and this is where I came into contact with uh, the guy that did our own po whenua that you see sitting up there on the marae rawata. Time for a commercial, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, the, and, and the work that was done there by those people Absolutely fantastic. You know, the logs. Or just to uh, imagine, uh, you know, um, 
a log coming in that's pretty near six feet through, you know? Huge log. It's huge. And, 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 uh, and, uh, and the amount of work that's been done on some of these logs and uh, with chainsaws and all sorts of things, you know. And um, it, it goes back again to the feeling of if Grandpappy had a grain, uh, you know, a chainsaw in those days, he would have been using it too, yes. you know. Yes. But uh, here they were using the grubber type of, of uh, tool to work with, the knife type of tool, and also the chisel type of tool. So, so it was an exchange of... Comp- there and then, of what tools to use. So no hang-up with using modern modern No hang-ups at all. It was, how can we get the form out in a hurry? Mm. And and, uh, the number of times that we just sat down and talked about different things that that were happening there. But to see these huge totem poles, huge! And to have a a whole uh, museum Full of them. And, and, and uh, <clears throat> what really gets me is, here was a place, and, and, and they still got wood there that size that they could use, right? And here, back here in New Zealand, uh, it's going to cost you, you know, an arm and a leg and a, and a few other bits and pieces to get a, something that big to work with. Yes, yes, yes. Right? Uh, we tried. We tried very, very, diff- uh, very hard to, to get some uh, a log like of that dimension anyway, to do in exchange for the one that they gave us, the New Town Earth people of, of, um, um, Vancouver. They gave us that totem pole that we've got on the mine. At Awataha. At Awataha. Another commercial, eh? Well, Arnold, you've been sculpting for a great number of years now. And uh, we, 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 where is Māori contemporary sculpting going to? Where where's it come from and where is it at this point? Yeah, and that's a, that's a bit difficult because now uh, with, the, with what I call the oldies breaking the, or getting into and then breaking away from the accepted norm at that particular time, uh, we've taken it so far ahead now it's... Um, it's now beginning to uh, be seen as the South Pacific uh, input, which brings in symbolism in terms of the South Pacific. It brings in uh, things from the, the, the South Pacific itself into it too. Uh, you've got quite a few uh, Pacific Islanders and uh, South Pacific, Pacific Islanders, actually doing their own painting, sculpture and what have you here with us. And there's a lot of interchanging of ideas. So therefore it's it's moving towards a, a greater focus on that South Pacific Rim. But it's also moving out of that. It's moving to the, what I call the universals. And that's... Um, what is happening over in, in uh, Sarajevo, you know, over there. Could be happening here also, but from a different point of view. Mm-hmm. You know, um, the, 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 feeling, the feeling of frustration, perhaps, 
of who the, who the heck we are and, and where did we spring from and, and where are we heading for. And um, let's face it, um, what's going through the minds of many, many of the young, our young artists is the physical envelope situation. Because this is going to govern just how you and I are going to think in future. Yeah, yeah. So, well, it's, are we going to get a, a back, a backup in what we're going to do, or is it going to be the same old thing? Are we after a true partnership, or is it just another means and a way of paying off a deal that was done so many years ago? Well, I think of some of your, your early sculptures, especially the, the, the painted, elongated yeah. figures. Yeah. Perhaps people didn't realise, when we talk about ten or more years ago, what, mm. what, what sort of statement you were making at that stage, but perhaps it's taken us ten years to catch up with what you were thinking then, Arnold. Well, um, you know, um, identity has always been something that uh, I've talked about. And I've used quite a few of my pieces of sculpture to, to maintain that. Um, I've seen so many of, so much of that type of thing happening within schools, our schools, where because uh, uh, a Pacific Islander's name was so long and difficult to, to spell out, they were given a nickname. Mm. And that became his identity. And not giving it a true feeling of, being yeah. identified through his name. Maybe his name talked about the mighty chief that struck down whatever, whatever, whatever. But in, in this case, he became just Joe. Yeah. Or, hey boy. Or, you know. So identity was my thing at that particular time. And that's why the Pofinua was you know, was my idea mm. of putting down a marker so you know where you belong to. Your, your feet were firmly established in the Papatuanuku and you stood proud and tall within that identity. And uh, everything, the family, the individual, the whanau, the extended family, was all based along that. And then of course, he went out to do to, to something else at one stage. It's, it's now going into something totally different to that again because um, I'm doing a lot of painting. Um, if we take several of, of the works that have been done by others, by Fred now, for instance. Fred Graham, yes. Fred Graham. And by his... His son, Brett. Brett. You see, there's, there may be similarities along those lines, but it's, Brett's work is, again, moving further and further and further away to the forms of the South Pacific area. Mm. Very, very bold forms, trying to, again, um, talk about identity. You know, where do I stand in this sort of uh, a word 
that I'm looking for now is something to do with um, muddle, confusion perhaps, or a whole lot of things coming in on, on top of you to, to point out the fact that um, you might be just standing alone. We don't know. Arnold Manaki Wilson, having accorded all with Henare Te Ua in 1994. Arnold died in Auckland on May 1st and was buried at Ruatoki. He was 83 years old. E te rangatira, i nae kua moi koe, kua naro koe i te tirohanga tangata. Ko nga taonga i waiho mai i a koe hei maumaharatanga ki a koe. Ake tonu atu. Haere, haere, haere atura. E te rangatira haere ki o tūpuna, haere ki te pō, haere ki te pō. Anaiti Fakamarama Moti Fakatoki Itine Wiki He Maunga Afa The Calm After the Storm So this week's Fakatoki is in reference to anything in your life basically where you go through the, the good and the bad and the ups and downs and after a period of time everything settles the calm after the storm Phytophthora taxon agathis heard of it? what about Cody Dieback? I have a lesson in botany with Stephen King of the Waipoa Forest Trust. And I join the ladies who are doing their bit to get more Māori wahine breast screened in Waipukuro. And we have footage of the Aotea regionals held in Hawera yesterday. <laughs> As for today's broadcast, you can listen to it at radioNZ.co.nz forward slash Teahika. Hey, and there's a raft of ways to contact me or Justine. If you're online, you can Facebook tiahikaratradionz.co.nz or you can always write to us at Radio New Zealand PO Box 123 155 The Terrace. We love hearing from you. Hoi anō ngā mihi ki ngā kaikōrero i tēnei wiki. Ki ngā kairā wiki wiki mihini ngā mihi. Mai te whanau a tiahika ki a tātou katoa. Mauri ora tātou katoa.